It's a vampire wedding, and Watsi have gone all out on everything from the centerpieces to the canapes. But are these extravagant nuptials dripping with class, or a tacky disaster? Welcome to Magic the Flavoring, the Magic the Gathering podcast, where we talk about all things magic, flavor design, and lore. I'm your host, Andy Mann. Hello, this is Nathan Cancel. And today we're going to be talking about Innistrad Crimson Vow. We finally got here. Um, and we're going, to, we're going to combine two episodes. So for all of these sets, as you probably know, being a regular listener, um, and if you're not a regular listener, this is how we've kind of fallen into the rhythm of doing these things. Um, we will usually do for a new set a hype episode, a, a mechanics episode where we look at the flavor of the new mechanics coming into the set and what we think of them. Uh, and then we'll do a flavor picks episode where we kind of have a look at the set once it's all been spoiled and pick out individual cards or themes or cycles or whatever that we think really make the set pop. Um, that's what we do for sets, especially when we return to them. Uh, when we go to new planes, we replace the hype episode with a, like a world building episode to kind of flesh out what we know about the new plane. Because we already had uh, Midnight Hunt recently, and uh, Innistrad Crimson Vow is kind of, I mean, it's not a whole new set, really. I mean, it is, because it's 282 cards, but it's, you know, it, they're doing something different with this, right? It's very soon release after, and it kind of, to stop us from burning out too much, we're going to combine our hype episode with our flavor picks episode. So we're going to take the things that we just internally, Nathan and I, really like about Crimson Vow, or some of the things actually we really don't like, because there are a few uh, things in this uh, particular set that I personally like really dislike and i will talk about them um and i know there are a few things that you're not hugely keen on as well nathan um but we're going to combine that with our picks as well as kind of uh sort of flag posts for like we like this card because it represents this thing that we really like in this set uh then we're gonna do a mechanics episode so we're gonna flip those around so we will do a mechanics of this set uh episode because it is important to talk about all the new mechanics coming in because they are for better or for worse quite flavorful in this set but we'll get to that then we will do a story uh, narrative episode like we usually do once all the story episodes are released. And then Nathan and I are thinking of doing a whole episode talking about all the different art treatments across Midnight Hunt and Crimson Vow. Because there are a lot of them. And that in itself is something worth talking about, let alone the actual stylistic choices of all the different individual card uh, styles and card frames. Um, so yeah, there's still quite a lot of Innistrad to get through, so it's probably a good idea that we compress these two episodes into one. Um, I mean, what, what are your feelings as a whole on this set, Nathan, Crimson Vale? So, I feel like it's funny, right? I feel like the two sets are kind of like a breathe-in, breathe-out, and I feel like the inhalation maybe might have been more interesting than the exhalation. I mean, we, we had a little like conversation with a little natter beforehand, and I kind of feel like there's something inherently, and I kind of want Andy to kind of convince me otherwise, there's something inherently lacklustre about the set. In my mind, I don't know why, beyond the fact that I think I have an issue with sets that like revolve around a very specific event, a very small event. I quite like, as 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 I've realised, especially when we're doing like return sets, I feel like the expansion of the world lore is kind of important. And there is a fair bit of this in this set, but I feel like I can't work out if it's a good thing or a bad thing to have a set that's entirely focused around the specific the specific event, the specific wedding-y kind of feel. Mm. Um, and as much as I do feel like they did a very good job of representing it across like a lot of cards, it does feel maybe a touch too focused. And it makes okay. the rest of the cards kind of feel a little more superfluous because either they're not playing to the theme of the of the wedding and so they're kind of left in limbo or they are playing 
deeply into the theme of the wedding. And because I don't really, I think like deep seated wise, I'm like, fuck Olivia, why is she trying to do? I think it was like, I've got like a narrative pushback against the wedding. So any of the sure. cards about the wedding, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's all about Olivia. Like, whatever, fuck, fuck, fuck you, Olivia. This isn't all about you. There's a, a whole, <laughs> the whole of the rest of Innistrad going on. And I don't know, I didn't feel it as much. I didn't feel it as much in the first set. I don't know why. It felt like there was more, it felt like it was tackling more than just one of that one event, that Harvest Tide, you know, build up a massacre. I mean, I don't know. Again, I, I'm hoping you convince me otherwise. I'm hoping you convince well, no, me I, but I, I don't know if I can convince you otherwise because the, the reasons I like this set, and the, actually I like this set way more than I thought I would. I think when we were talking about Midnight Hunt, I was like, cool, the werewolves. We haven't seen the werewolves really that much in, in Estrada before in previous sets. All about the werewolves. Okay, I guess we've got to do the vampires then. Fine, we've seen enough of fucking vampires. And yeah, whatever, they've got a kitschy kind of wedding feel, which would be fun. But I mean, whatever, we're done with them. I actually like this set way more card for card than I thought I would. But for the reasons that you dislike it, I like the fact that it's low to the ground and it's really centric on this wedding feel. I like the fact that we don't necessarily see the rest of Innistrad. We've already had two sets. We've we've had a full block when we first came here, three-set block, and then a two-set block. Like, Theros, for example, didn't get another another two-set block, you know, or a three-set block. So I kind of feel like we've had enough time to see Innistrad doing other Innistrad-y things, and if there's not some huge cataclysmic event going on, I don't know if we need to see what's going on everywhere else. We'll get a little taste of it in other cards, but no, this is about the vampire wedding, and I, I kind of like that. Um, but I, I, I do see what you mean. There is a lot of stuff in this set that I don't think uh, sings quite as as loudly as in sort of other sets that we're used to, where it's like, oh wow, this whole sort of cycle of cards, this whole mechanic or this whole uh, setting really like pops. I do think it is maybe a little bit more subdued as a set, but I think card for card, there is actually a lot in here, and it was actually very easy for me to do my flavor picks. In fact, I had to chop them down. I, I usually have to kind of stretch for the last maybe two to kind of go, what really grabs me. But I got to like six or seven, and I was like, oh, wow, I need to maybe just decide or like compress a couple of things together. Um, so, yeah, so I, I think I had the the opposite reaction with you for almost exactly the same reasons. I will say, and I, I kind of mentioned this earlier, there is something, there are a couple of cards in this set which I actually think are dire in terms of their flavor. Um, and maybe not for the usual reasons, and maybe they're a little bit petty, which is why I'm going to save those for the very end, because I think I have far more to talk about that's positive than negative, but the negatives are big for me. So um, we will get to that. Interesting. That's this is going to be this is going to be awkward because my first flavor pick. Shall we dive into them? Yeah, please. Yeah, yeah go ahead. Absolutely. So my first flavor pick. <laughs> is the very low-to-the-ground design of uh, Bride's Gown and Groom's Finery. (laughs) Uh, Bride's Gown is an artifact equipment for one and a white, and it has a cooked creature, gets plus two, plus O, it gets an additional plus O, plus two, and has first strike as 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 long as an equipment named Groom's Finery is attached to a creature you control. The quick cost of two, and it's Eric Deschamps. The artwork shows uh, Olivia's bridal gown that she wears, or bridal armor, I suppose. Uh, and then Groom's Finery is one and a black for an artifact equipment. Equip creature gets plus two, plus O. Oh. It gets an additional plus O, oh, plus two, and has Death Touch as long as uh, an equipment named, bride, named Bride's Gown is attached to a creature you control. Cards are getting so wordy these days. Uh, equipment uh, cost, equip cost is two. I'll work by Eric Deschamps, and it shows uh, Edgar Markov's bridal uh, groom 
uh, clothes in a little coffin-shaped box. So it's the wedding between Olivia and Edgar. I realize we haven't necessarily done like a big sort of storyline uh, sort of prep for this. If you don't know, this whole wedding is between Olivia Voltaren and Edgar Markov. And there are story articles going out. We're going to kind of ignore them for this Flavor Picks episode uh, for the most part. We will do a full story episode, obviously, going forwards. But yes, a lot of this is going to be to do with their relationship. Um, and I, I really love it. Come on. It's really cute. It's just two really low, little low-to-the-ground cards that uh, bounce off each other. It's the bride's clothes and the groom's clothes. And they do exactly the same thing, except for a couple of keyword changes. And if you have them both on the battlefield, they both get stronger. Because they're getting bonded in the like holy matrimony of weddings. <laughs> I don't know. I'm I am a married person, and even I don't necessarily know all the um, terminology. But yeah, it's cute, isn't it? This is cool card design. I suppose what the armor kind of gives them more power, but when they're joined with the other one, it gives them more toughness in terms of like the ability to stick it out. I mean, yeah, well, I sure. And also, it's definitely because it's a marriage of like houses coming together, isn't it? Like that, sure. that's going to be the thing. So it's going to it's making them more overtly powerful. Like you know, it's all these kind of. Um, uh, uh, what you call them, gentry weddings are really mm. like it's you know it's combining of consolidating like wealth and and power. So yeah, but you have all, loads of different cards in this set that kind of do the same sort of thing. And this is what this is what I mean about like these aren't necessarily I don't necessarily think these individual cards are like the bee's knees, but they represent something in the set which I really love, which are all these slightly lower to the ground card designs that make the set feel like it is doing the thing so you have cards for example like wedding invitation which is a two drop artifact when wedding invitation enters the battlefield draw a card you get more information because you've got a a wedding invite then you tap and sacrifice the wedding invitation target creature can't be blocked this turn if it's a vampire it also gains lifelink until end of turn so it gives vampires access to areas they wouldn't previously have and they're gonna have a really good time they're gonna have lifelink it's a little wedding invitation rsvp at your own risk Fucking excellent. Honeymoon Hearse, uh, artifact vehicle, two and a red with trample, 5-5. Uh, five, five. Tap two, untapped creatures you control. Honeymoon Hearse becomes an artifact creature until end of turn. You got two people in the Honeymoon Hearse. The Honeymoon Hearse activates. What? Come on. Like, you don't get this with sets like Ravnica and Zendikar and um, uh, like Dominaria. These big high fantasy sets. Those are the sets that you can find generic, like, you know, Holy Sword, or, you know, Gleaming Armor, or whatever kind of cards you want to have that are just kind of generic fancy. It's sets like Innistrad and Eldraine that have the kind of smaller Strixhaven, that have the smaller flavor beats that you can find, like, really specific cards tied to a location and a time. Um, and I just I just think they really nailed it with these ones. I, re- I really enjoy it. I guess so. Yeah, no, I understand. Oh, no, 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 because I get, I, I do, I do understand where you're coming from because it's, we've had this issue before where, like, say, the Adventures of Forgotten Realm, like plus one mace or plus two mace or whatever it is. Like, mm. you, you didn't even try. I mean, obviously, that's the, that's the trope, right? Is that that in D and D, the artifacts and the equipment and everything are just generic. Anyone can pick them up, kind of thing. They don't all have like names like Excalibur or Sting or whatever. Like, sure. I do, I do feel you, and I do like, I did like the wedding invitation quite a lot. Um, yeah, I guess. Do you know what? Do you know what would have really sold me? And that's if we'd got genuine vows. Like in Magic, there are vows, right? Like there's vow of um, flight and vow of. I can't remember what the other ones off the top of my head, mm-hmm. but like they're the enchantments that you put on on your creatures and they you put the enchantment on the creature it's goaded i think it gets a plus plus two plus two in vigilance or any whatever generic you know mechanical word and they can't attack you or planeswalkers you control i would have liked to have seen like 
like that like almost like a promise like a like of a spell almost like as of, of of their of their matrimony coming together um but otherwise yeah no yeah. I mean, you have you have convinced me you have convinced me a little i mean i did see yeah. the hearse i did think okay that's kind of cute not in like cute. the the taxidermy kind of like good god they pushed the flame from that too much it's a bit it's a bit unsetty like it is yeah it, it kind yeah. of yeah it does work i mean just work. uh just to hammer my point home a little bit more i'm actually also happy that they used more kind of generic maybe kind of uh vanilla magic mechanics to represent these things as well like they didn't they didn't have on groom's finery and, and bride's gown like you know put a groom counter on your bride or put a bride counter on your groom like they could have very easily done that because they have the kind of pension for doing that at the moment like they mm. kept it belly mid- down the middle of the line gives it plus two oh plus oh plus two fine that it reads well so yeah i like it yeah that's that's my first flavor pick Let, I th- cool. we've got a lot to get through let's 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 move on to yours <laughs> Okay, um, so um, my first pick um, is is funnily enough also kind of a low to the grounder, and this is kind of like the opposite the, the opposite kind of thing because this has nothing to do with the wedding, and it's panicked bystander. Um, panicked bystander is a two two for one and a white human peasant. Uh, when pe- panicked bystander or another creature you control dies, you gain one life at the beginning of your end step. If you gain three or more life this turn, transform panicked bystander. It flips into a human rogue cackling culprit. Uh, Captain Col- when a, uh, whenever Captain Culprit or another creature you control dies, you gain one life. One in a black Captain Culprit gains death touch until end of turn. It is a three five on its reverse side. Um, flavor text on the front side: Help! There's been a horrible murder. And on the back side: Ha! They fall for it every time. Like, it's <laughs> call an ambulance, but not for right, me. <laughs> not for me, right? It's so good. It's it, it's it's my macabre. Um, the, the, remember last last set where there was the um the scarecrow that was made, and yeah. it was all about the widow, and she clearly killed her husband. <laughs> yeah, and got all of his all of his real estate. It's that kind of idea. There's a guy who keeps pointing out all of these horrible manners and things that are happening, and it turns out. It's him, and he's collecting body parts and putting them in jars and stuff. And uh, these these are the things where I feel like, I mean, maybe maybe this is where my argument falls flat, right? Because this is literally in the same set as all of this other stuff that's going on. And maybe there are still opportunities for the low to the ground kind of like in a strand in general. Like, because what I put is sometimes it's the little things in a strand, aka fuck the vampire wedding. Who cares? Um, <laughs> As I love how um, I love how they they hint at the normality of the macabre, you know, like there is this grandiose party going and everything going on, but the generic day to day, like Innistrad is a bit fucked up, and it's not just the monsters that that make that, that are coming after the humans. Like humans are also the monsters themselves. If you think about like you know Gisa and Geralt, like they're both creating these massive hordes mm. of, of of zombies, um, and even like the generic peasants, <laughs> <are> bastards. <laughs> they go around killing their husbands and causing and causing um. Co- causing murders and stuff I, I don't know for some reason also it makes you really really happy that it looks a little bit like jeff bridges from the big lebowski um i don't know why sure. that makes me so happy and cackling culprit it's just it's just it sings it sings to me and i just again i feel like maybe this is um indicative of the plane i think we said this last set as well if there is still so much space for normal horror tropes and normal kind of horror horror aspects that I think that we could still come back a fourth time to an Australian kind of maybe this is the other good point right is that they've kind of sidetracked the last two sets of an Australian gone don't worry about an Australian as a whole let's focus on these two events that are happening we'll still feed you little bits of the plane but then we kind of gives them time to 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 to, to what's it um to reassess and kind of like and give themselves another opportunity to do like a big broad stroke kind of set for an Australian mm. next time like you know because Emrakul 
as we'll get onto for me a little bit later, is clearly going to come back at some point. Like they clearly set her up to be a big story beat. So maybe they did need these kind of like focus stories that kind of give small character details and kind of give everyone else like, a, I mean, give um, a few of the characters a a new card or a look in again to see them, how they've changed that kind of thing. And they didn't have to do it in a big sweeping art kind of way. Okay. Fair enough. I guess. Yeah. I told you to convince me. You've already almost convinced me after my mm. first flavor pick. So, but yeah, I just like these little ones. And also I like transform cards that aren't just, you know, werewolves, like don't get me wrong, love werewolves, sure. but it was, I felt like there's an opportunity with some um, flip cards to kind of see other aspects of the set. that isn't just the day night cycle. There are a lot of transform cards in this set as well, and and they're really playing with this idea of not having necessarily both halves be the same even card type. Like you've got Jacob Halkin Inspector, which is a, a blue legendary creature from this set. <clears throat> Flips into a, a legendary enchantment, Halkin's Insight. And he's a mythic rare, sure, but it doesn't necessarily feel like a super pushed or super like flagship card. Like it is just sort of the norm now. So I really I do like the the kind of play that they're having with a lot of these um these flip cards i mean again gutter skulker into gutter shortcut is a creature into an enchantment because of course it would be if it's a spirit like it doesn't necessarily need to be a spirit on the back it's it, it will imbue whoever is being possessed by the spirit you know it, it kind of makes a lot of sense um, yeah yeah but yeah the flavor of disturb i think is really really cool but i think that's something we probably look at when we look at our uh, our mechanics mm. so i feel like that's done so much better this set than it was in the last set oh interesting i I already disagree, but we'll get on to that. Um, okay, cool. My uh, next flavor pick is Gluttonous Guest. Uh, artwork by Jesper Icing. Uh, it's two and a black for a creature vampire, 1-4. When Gluttonous Guest enters the battlefield, create a blood token. Uh, whenever you sacrifice a blood token, you gain one life. Don't give a shit about the mechanics. Uh, we'll get on to that in the next episode. Heads up. Blood tokens suck. Um, anyway. <laughs> gluttonous- <laughs> hey, oh, Hello. Ooh, I am funny. Um, this <laughs> guest. Uh, it's it's the humor of the set. This set is fucking funny. Like this set is really funny, and I think that was really lacking in the last set. If I'm honest with you, I mean, yes, Bryceing. This is an example because obviously, yes, Bryceing is is the fucking king of putting in whimsy and uh, sort of fun into his artworks without even really trying. Like so, the the artwork in this um set shows a vampire clearly at the the wedding the mark of folder wedding with two huge goblets of blood that one of them they've literally just drained and it looks like they're not even going to stop for breath and there are vampires in the background looking at the ba- vampire in the foreground being like oh how uncouth you know even in vampire culture this person is just clearly just way over the top and needs to slow down like as you get in every wedding there's always one person that you think all right you need to like knock it on the head like no. <laughs> this, this is a wedding not your local pub like chill out um, but I mean, it's not to do Midnight Hunt a disservice. Like, I'm not trying to say that Midnight Hunt was boring. There were like that card that you mentioned about the woman who you know butchers her husband and then makes him a scarecrow. There were little flavor beats and little macabre sort of uh, dark humor beats in in Midnight Hunt. I just feel like the inherent setting of a vampire wedding is far more fun and far more prone to whimsy than uh, a Harvest Tide festival that gets massacred by a bunch of werewolves. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Like, there's already enough humour in just the pitches, one versus the other. And I think they really played on it. There are other cards as well that are really good for this. Like, you have, like, Dying to Serve and Undead Butler, which are all the zombie, like, butlers for the wedding. Wedding security, the idea that a vampire wedding needs security. I've always found that funny in fancy media when there's whenever there's like some super dangerous thing that they need to go to their holdout and they have, like, guards. Like in Star Wars, why do the Sith need security? I don't understand. Why do they need those, like, 
royal guards or whatever, or like em- empirical guards, like Emperor Palpatine's got those red motherfuckers. He's Emperor Palpatine. Yeah, he doesn't, he anything, doesn't need guards. He like, should be defended by things that are stronger than you, not yeah, right, that are weaker than you. Yeah, uh, catapult fodder, which is another Jesper Icing artwork, shows a bunch of zombies in a catapult that's about to be fired on the flip side of that card by another zombie. Like I just find there's there are so many instances in this set where they've clearly thought like this is where we're going to have a lot of fun with just the idea of Innistrad. And if you live on this nightmare plane full of like horror and, and despair, you're probably going to find your humour when you where you can find it. <laughs> and, 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 you know, it's, it's the classic thing of... This is why TV shows like The Addams Family and The Munsters and in more recent years, things like Hotel Transylvania, like is all these um sort of, you know, backwards ideas of what's funny. You know, like, oh, the Munsters like it when it's raining because it's a more beautiful thing than when it's sunny. You know, it's that kind of thing. The hu- the human, beautiful human character in The Munsters is considered ugly by the monster family. And it's all these kind of, you know, reverse jokes that are, I guess are kind of simple, but they read really well. And yeah, I just I just sort of feel like this set is having a lot more fun than Midnight Hunt. Midnight Hunt spoke to people in a very different way, and this I'll get onto this in my next flavor pick as well, but Midnight Hunt did a really good job of capturing the human experience of going into the darker winter months, like as, as a species, whereas they don't need to do that in this set. What they're playing on in this set are people's preconceptions of weddings versus monsters. Um, and yeah, yeah, the I, night I just, the night doesn't really come in at all in this set whatsoever. Actually, I think about not it. really. A few, a few of the like story spotlight cards, quote unquote story spotlight cards. Like there are obviously like story beats where it really matters, but for the yeah. set in general, they're not playing with that idea. They're playing with a lot of other conventions that we have about you know about celebration and what we find grotesque. You know, to a vampire, draining a big goblet of blood is celebratory, whereas obviously we find that disgusting. You know, it's, it's all those kind of jokes, and yeah. it's not my humor like exclusively like this isn't what i sit around like laughing at in my downtime but in the context of this set i think they just had a lot of fun and i really appreciate it yeah I've, it's fine i've got i've got two i've got two bounce backs off of that one i love that you said you, you said that you loved the um dying to serve or thing i think in the original the original because of the first when it was first spoiled it was spoiled from um, a foreign language and the scryful kind of like um placeholder name was dreadful service which is so much better than dying to serve, and uh, I well, dying to serve. I'm like, I'm like, oh, you could have. Been I think they're both equally service. good. Dreadful yeah. service is good. Dying to serve is also quite good, I think. And yeah, I'm not a big okay. fan of punny names. Like, I mean, in, in fact, as a little heads up into what I'm, I'm gonna like espouse on later. One of my most hated things in this set is a punny name. Um, okay, but I That's think fair. dying to serve, dying to serve is is fine. It's fine. It is fun. And, They're having fun. Yeah. And then also you've got, I hope it's not the same one, Aim for the Head as well, which is quite nice. It's almost like our resident, um, what was it? Um, Eye Shot or something? I can't remember. What was the Theros, the Theros card where it was, um, it would give minus, some, minus, well, one, minus one, minus one to a creature, or if it was a Cyclops, it would end up destroying it. Cause it was like oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that, it's got that kind of idea, Aim for the Head, like if it exiles a zombie, because obviously you go for the head. Or it exiles an opponent's um, two cards from an opponent's hands, which is actually also secretly very, very powerful. There's a lot of exile stuff in this set that I feel like um, pushes the because graveyard. I, I like this side because I said this last um, last set as well. Like 
there's this feeling of um, when things go to the graveyard, like the kind of automatically come back again. And that idea of almost like cremation or something should feel like you're exiling something from, from the graveyard. Like bleed dry is a really good example of this, of where it's giving minus 13, minus 13 to a creature until end of turn. Cool, normal, fine. But that flavor of bleeding them dry, it's like, well, if it would die, instead it's exile because there was literally nothing left of it to be able to bring back again. I kind mm. of like that idea of where it kind of pushes... Um, the flavor of exile kind of more into the more because exile is now much more prevalent and also as as the game expands if we don't find more ways to to get kill things proper kill things dead dead then you know like the the, the graveyard strategies only get better and better um the only thing i will i will say one other thing for it being eternal night i'm scrolling through there are a lot of cards that it looks like the sun's the sun's up just yeah. just say bloody bloody betrayal rural crew what why is there blue sky in your backgrounds just asking for a friend. Crushing yeah. Canopy. Yeah, there's blue sky in the background here. When, when is this taking place? Was it? I mean, <laughs> I mean, I, I suppose just from a real world artistic directive perspective, to have 280 odd cards all set at night time is a bit of a ask. Do you know what I mean? I know, but that's kind of what the point of the set was, right? That's the thing I think that's kind of it irks me a little is that the whole like, oh, it's going to be Eternal Night. It's almost like it doesn't really matter. Yeah, like, but do you remember when Amonkhet first released and everything was sunblasted sand dunes, and and initial response to it was, God, this set looks boring. I mean, that was my initial reaction to it, and then it was later on that I actually understood that Amonkhet and Hour of Devastation may be some of the greatest magic sets of all time, like right? Yeah, but yeah. I guess maybe that's where, maybe that's where I feel like there's a thematic. Like, I mean, I guess that's the world theme, right? Is in the the, the the you've convinced me on like the event theme of the wedding. I do think it's quite nice to have again little cards like wedding security where it can only have taken place during a certain time in a certain place, and it kind of gives the card more flavour. It's just when other cards, things like arm the cathars, which is already like a generic kind of ability, it's just a pump effect for other creatures. And then also the art in the art, it's like, well, that could be taken place where, where, where where's this taking place and you can the fact that the sun in the background automatically you'd assume it's not in crimson Vale because crimson Vale's the set of eternal night right and maybe that's where my confusion kind of sits a little bit on there um i just I, think I, you're I a fucking vorthos nerd you need to shut up i, I know i am <laughs> from, from that to a, from the from, from fine well, i mean isn't this exactly what this episode's supposed to be about this, that's okay. exactly what this entire fucking podcast is meant to be about <laughs> So good. Well, let's 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 start talking about how Emrakul is still here and definitely still happening. Um, Uvenworld okay. Oddity, two green green for a four four trample haste beast. Uh, it's got an ability on it, a generic five and two green to transform Uvenworld Oddity into an eight eight Uvenworld Beomoth. Trample haste. Other creatures you control get plus one plus one and have trample and haste. Flavor text. Obviously, it's dangerous, but I've never seen anything like that. It, uh, this could be an entirely new species. I say we follow it. Halana, Kessig Ranger. When it mm. flips, we've learned enough. I say we run. Elena, Kessig Trapper. Now, now, a lot of people have said when this came out, all the mandibles on the reverse side look more like a crab. Less like tentacles. There's loads of weird, crazy things on Innistrad. Like there's, you know, slug horrors and frog horrors mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But the fact that Halana has never seen anything like this, this whole new species, and Elena's like, oh, no, we've learned that's an ass good enough, let's let's run. And the fact that its ability is exactly the same ability that the werewolves had from Eldritch Moon, where you just play a generic amount of mana to flip it over. This is this is an Emrakul plant, right? This has got to be. And it's gonna, I, sort and of, it feels... I definitely felt at the lot of the, especially the blue cards in this set, um, and it ties into my next flavor pick as well, but obviously I'll let you keep going, is 
that there is a huge amount of eldritch horror signifiers in this, way more than I thought they were ever going to do again. Like people were people weren't hugely up on the eldritch horror last time we were around, and so I thought they were going to ditch it entirely. But nope, it's fucking here in force in this set. I tell you, yeah. And I feel like it's funny because they've kind of combined a lot again with the blues kind of spells because they've kind of lent into this kind of the crack exactly kind of what I wanted. I did say this last um for the last set that I kind of wanted them to lean into like the the seaside aspect of it, right? The krakens, the like again we'll get onto the elephant in the room in a second from my flavor picks. Um, but there's a little bit you know consuming tide. There's a few different cards that kind mm. of hint at that kind of deep depths kind of aspect. And I'm just kind of I think the reason why I'm happy is because it did feel a little bit odds in Zendikar they kind of Eldrazi washed themselves right of where they went no it's, this is it's not in the set whatsoever you got what crumbling monument or I think was the only card in the entire set that kind of gave any hint that the Eldrazi were at some point happening we kind of even in the story of um in a, of, of Midnight Hunt and Crimson Vow you get a lot of talk about the travails right about the, the, the hardships and yeah for Innistrad that's nothing new really like having all these oh the monsters are more monstery oh god oh that 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 that, that werewolf's a little bit more fearsome oh no mm. oh, oh, oh dear what sh- whatever shall we do so it doesn't feel quite as uh, prevalent or pronounced but I'm kind of glad that they left these kind of hints because I feel like they wanted Zendikar to be done with Eldrazi. Eldrazi are done. There's no more. There's no more Eldrazi on Zendikar. But there is definitely still a fuck off Eldrazi, probably the most powerful of them all, in the moon. Yeah. So if they didn't have some hint of it, it would feel like a massive injustice. And I feel like, as much as Battle for Zendikar was okay, can we can we fucking stop now, please, with Eldrazi? I still feel like Eldritch Moon did a really good job of kind of feeding that Eldritch um, horror in, and kind of if again we'll we'll say this for the end of time, it felt like this set should be in the other way around, of where you've got the the the, 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 the mystery of what's going on on Innistrad, and you're like, oh my god, it's Emrakul, she's here, and then you go, oh well, let's go back to Zendikar. Oh, the other two Eld- Eldrazi monstrosities are, are, are wreaking havoc. Instead, they kind of buried the lead and they kind of fucked up that kind of that reveal, as it were. And I'm kind of still glad that they still have aspects of that um are they still able to go kind of like yeah there is still a well a bit a wider arc outside of this and we're not going to put a massive amount into it and it still doesn't necessarily feel too much like don't forget about emrakul like a lot of people are still convinced this isn't a plant for it and i can see why they would think that oh no there are there are some cards in this set where i'm like how like there are it's so clear that they're still trying to push the emrakul influence like yeah you know some artwork is could have been straight out of shadows over in a stride do you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And there was a few things like, like I don't want to say like concealing curtains because it's the eye motif, right? Concealing curtains yeah. into the all-seeing eye is something also Emrakul related. But there weren't really eye things or tentacly things on Innistrad before. Like I like this idea of where there's this one Eldrazi horror that's kind of going, um, I'm just just gonna chill out in this in this in this in this house over here. And if anyone wants to come and see me, well, I'm just behind the curtain. Ooh, cheeky, cheeky, sneaky, sneaky. Like that kind of idea. Like I don't think that's necessarily what they're playing on there, but I do. Yeah, I'm glad they didn't abandon some of the themes that have kind of integral now to Innistrad. Like yes, mm. okay, the the werewolves have their own plight, and the humans have their own plight, and even the vampires have their own agenda. But there is still this overarching kind of bigger plane out there. Like we don't see very many demons, we don't see many very very, very many devils um, in this set at all. I think we see one of each, both of which I'm kind of a bit disappointed at because I'd quite like those how this plane specifically handles the cycle of demons and like the way that devils kind of exist. They only really properly exist on this plane. I mean, yeah, they're on. Um, Ravnica as well a lot with the Rakdos but they're also tied specifically almost to that gestury kind of like feel whereas I feel like this is like a different spin and it's quite nice just to see the other parts of the plane still 
affecting the set and still being kind of elevated and still being left in there because it, it could have been very easy to focus too hard I think on the vampire wedding kind of leave the rest of the man I'm literally what I'm doing is convincing myself that what I said initially is wrong uh, good see that's what I wanted to do that's what I want to be doing all I want to do is complain and then be wrong Andy that's what I want in life and I'm succeeding yeah. <laughs> cool that's it that's, 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 that's my that's my segue into, into all things Emrakul um, you go, you go. <laughs> <laughs> well my, my next one kind of ties into it a little bit anyway um, my next this is uh, Erith Tormented Prophet which is one blue red for a legendary creature human wizard two four if you would draw a card exile the top two cards of your library instead you may play those cards this turn uh, the flavor text reads, she is cursed with visions of monsters and suffering, and all her visions come true. And the artwork is by Ekaterina Burmack. Um, I mean, this card as a whole could have been its own flavor pick. It's fucking amazing. Um, just the the flavor of it, the idea of this like uh, tormented prophet is literally in the name, the whole uh, kind of thing. You see the little devils like tormenting um, Irith and obviously this whole idea that on Innistrad you can sort of... You, there's this weird cognitive dissonance of... You can be tormented by visions and and considered to be you know mad and you know people don't listen to you, but they're also on a plane where all these things can actually happen. Like it's it's really weird to me that in any fantasy setting there'd be any sort of sense of like oh well that's impossible that would never happen. You live in a fantasy world, anything is literally possible. Um, but I suppose they have to create sort of some sort of drama. Um, the thing that I'm focusing on really with this card is the artwork. So Extreme Burmak for Era of Tormented Prophet. This this particular artwork is stunning, but it's actually, for me, representative of the set as a whole. There are some artworks in this set which I am absolutely blown away by. And it also, the thing that I'm I'm merging this with, I was going to do another separate um, flavor pick where I was going to talk about the kind of return of very classic horror to Innistrad. Like we had Eldritch Horror in the last um, time we were here in Midnight Hunt, as much as the set visually as a whole looked really good. There were actually very few individual artworks that really blew me away in Midnight Hunt. Again, it did a very good job as a whole collection of cards of evoking a very specific feeling and part of a human experience. And I think Midnight Hunt did that really well. But actually, individual cards-wise, maybe not quite so many amazing artworks. But this set is just... This is what I mean when I say card for card. This set is actually really fantastic. There are so few duds in this set and there are so many really surprising artworks i mean talking again about Irith, like this is this is a rembrandt painting this is like an old dutch masters grotty muddy almost ugly but incredibly beautiful and detailed and just evoking this incredible sense of dread across the set and then you have a look you just start looking through and you just start looking through at other cards i mean there are a few that i i poked out and as kind of individual ones so you have something like uh, Cruel Witness is another one by Vincent Proust and uh, Screaming Swarm by uh, Arena Nordsoul. Um, again, with the eye motif and there's tentacles. Again, this is what I was saying about, like, you know, Emrakul is definitely here. Like, you look at Screaming Swarm, where it's a flock of seagulls with tentacles coming out of their mouths and in the yeah. middle of the tentacles is a glowing blue eye. Yeah. It's fucking Emrakul, boys. Like, come on, let's let's get on board here. Like, you know. Yeah. And again with Cruel Witness, you have this bird horror where all the wings are, are eyes and its own eyes are kind of like see searing through into your soul. There are so many other artworks as well, which are just in incredibly beautiful. And then on top of that, you have Sam Gay returning with demonic bargain and right. what a fucking artwork. Oh. Sam fucking gay. I'm gonna repeat this. Sam fucking gay. 
get them in every goddamn set going. I know we say this for every artist that we like. I know we say it about the, you know, the Wiley Beckett's. I know we say it about um about Nils Harm. I know we say it about Sam McKinnon. But honestly, arguably, like, arguably, Nils Ham and Sam McKinnon have very similar art styles, and Sam Gay and Wiley Beckett have very similar art styles. Maybe well, we sure. just really and also, like, like those, again, very like, specific art. We have, oh, but that's the point, can't. right? Yeah, you can't. Well, yeah, you can't, very sure. you, you can't get away from them. They are so they stand you out can't so not. much. Also, let, I, again, I will address that uh, Sam Gay is no relation of Rebecca Gay, even though their art styles are very similar, because Sam Gay actually mentored underneath Rebecca Gay. So there is like a weird like little back and forth there. Um, but yeah, like the set visually, card for card, again, I think is just incredibly beautiful. And like, I mean, I'm just gonna literally just scroll down, scribe four, and then just stop randomly. And I'm sure I could just pick one out. I mean, uh, yeah, again, uh, you have uh, Skywarp Scarb is an incredibly like interesting, beautiful picture of a zombie Drake that we've seen a million times. But this one's far more evocative of the Scarb flying in front of the moon, and it's got these like almost like feathered wings, which is really incredible. Fucking just random blood servitor again. as well, Jason yeah. the angle, a angle that like it's really and so many people were really annoyed this wasn't like a blood like like legendary like a blood like blood demon legendary it's just like on a <laughs> random artifact common um mm. what's the other one the throng notorious throng where it's literally there's a zombie vomiting a zombie that is also vomiting a zombie mm-hmm. in a strad folks. don't leave home without it (laughs) incredibly like they're just they're just so beautiful and they're just so engaging as pieces as well you're not necessarily turned off with them wandering mind wandering mind is uh by simon dominic is a flying brain with (laughs) tendrils and horrible spiky fleshy protrusions and natty horrible wings flying in front of a lightning storm and i can't stop looking at it it's the most grotesque thing, but I can't stop looking at this piece of artwork. Mm. And I think this is the Innistrad that I think people, when they think of Innistrad, this is what they think of, really. Um, and don't get me wrong, again, this is not putting down Midnight Hunt. Midnight Hunt w- could have almost been its own set. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, if obviously it had to have been set on Innistrad, but it was very much its own thing, trying to evoke its own sort of traditions, if you like, and, you know, trying to touch on certain themes that we hadn't seen in Innistrad before. Crimson Vow is going, cool, you've had your interesting, uh, like, pagan, culty werewolf set. Now let's go back to all the horrible bollocks and all the body horror and, you know, all there's a little bit of eldritch horror in there as well, which you know Innistrad is for. Um, and, yeah. I, d- I just I'm absolutely here for it. Again, it's a little bit like the humor. This is definitely the set where they kind of went cool. There are there are slightly fewer restrictions on the kind of flavor and function that we can have. We can now start pushing the boat out, and yeah, I just I just love it. I mean, again, Aerith tormented prophet. Very fucking very hell that yeah, card. Is really just really good artwork. Ekaterina yeah. Burmak as well. Like I, I don't think I've spoken about her uh, as much. I believe partnered to Dimitri Burmak. I could be wrong, but I think they're married. Um, if you look at their their back catalogue, I mean, the, the, the so one good. slight um, wrinkle is that they did illustrate a Moti celebrant of, of Bounty, where people were kind of not happy with the sort of religious sure. iconography that was kind of commoditized in that piece. But, you know, that's, you know, there is also art direction involved there as well, so it's not just down to Ekaterina. But, like, Kaza, Royal Chaser, Lier, Disciple of the Drowned, from the last set, just every... Every piece of theirs is just fucking rad. Just such a cool well, art yeah, style, the, incredibly the, detailed. 
the all art from Chandra from this set specifically, I think oh, might yeah. be one of my favorite arts in the entire set. Um, uh-huh. The dress to kill all artwork, which shows Chandra looking not like a teenage pyromancer for once. She's got some regality to her. Yeah. Like, yeah, I get, yeah, I've, I've got her, I've got her open literally on, on, on Scryfall and everything, every, every artwork is just so, so strong. Mm. So strong. It's a really good art style. Really cool. Good. Yeah. Dome, Jihada. Oh, yeah. Everything. everything. I, love it. I, love, I, love, I love it. I love it. I love it. We over artists. It's fantastic. Yeah. Um, We've got a lot of time for Ekaterina Bermak, but yeah. Cool. And that's my, that's my flavor pick for art for this set. Cool. Um, so I've got a weird, like, I don't, I, this is, I guess this, this might, this might be a, um, less of a flavor pick. I mean, it, it's not necessarily less of a flavor because I feel like it's a very cool card anyway. Uh, this is Halpak Piper, um, which flips into Wild Song Howler. Um, it's a 2-2 human werewolf. Um, it cannot be countered for three and a green. It has an ability one and a green tap. You may put a creature card from your hand onto the battlefield. If it's a wolf or a werewolf, untap Halpak Piper. Activate only as a sorcery. It's its daybound side. It's nightbound side. Whenever this creature enters the battlefield or transforms into Wild Song Howler, look at the top six cards of your library. You may reveal a creature card from among them, put it into your hand, put the rest on the bottom in a random order. Um good like cool i like the idea of that you know the, the, the idea of it's a call to arms on the on the first side getting and, and then and you know a wolf howls on the on the reverse side that's cool and everything the reason i bring this up is it was kind of like a it's almost like a, a, a power level kind of thing right if where i look at a card like this and i think holy nonsense that's such a strong really really strong ability and somehow they, they i look at it i'm like how did they how can they get away with printing oh it's too many you put anything from your hand into play right and I think the the bonkers thing is that you can I look at that and then realize fragility. You've got to go a term like you've, it's got to survive before it can drop a creature. You've got to have a good creature that to put into your hand into play, kind of thing. Like it's crazy that a card that's got such a strong ability is essentially cheating every werewolf from your hand into play for like say four or f- like four or six mana or whatever still isn't actually like that insane, and it still isn't. I mean, I'm sure you're going to be putting it into your werewolf deck. I'm sure yeah. it's a card you're looking at um and i really like this idea of where the reverse side refills your hand for the other side and this kind of idea of because very few werewolves this is the main reason i pick it for a flavor point of view because there are very few werewolves that the, the flipping back and forth forth facilitates itself right of where you actively want it to go back to the daytime side you're like cool now i can drop another wolf down and then they'll all flip back over again and you get another one into your hand and then you flip it back again I like this idea of where it tries to play into you going back and forth so i don't feel like there was a lot of incentive in the last set to do so I mm. felt like there was a lot of incentive in the last set. If you get it to the night, but night you get night bound, and you kind of want to stay there, right? You kind of don't want to, you don't want to kind of leave because all of your other werewolves come in then bigger, stronger, faster, better, and like the, 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 there wasn't a lot of incentive for the day day bound side to kind of give you much. And I feel like in this set they've done that with a few of the cards of where they've tried to go. Okay, look, let's give let's give let's give some incentive uh, incentivization because other people other players are going to want to flip them back. They should maybe be punished as well for flipping them back for you. That kind of thing. I think the thing that blew my mind with a card like this was just that. How is this not too powerful for a magic card? And in fact, how does my 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 smart magic brain go? Actually, that's pretty weak because you know it's probably going to get killed before you have a chance to use its ability. Like Elvish Piper, for example, does the same. It's the same idea, right? I think it's like mm. a one-one instead of being a two-two, and it only costs a single green tap and put a creature into play. And it, it blew my mind then as a, as as a kid when I first saw that kind of like, I'm sorry, what? Just for one and tap, you can just put any creature into play. And then, the, you know, the smart player would come over and go, oh, but it does cost four mana. It does have summoning sickness. You know, it's only a one one. It can just die to anything. And, you know, you've got to have, I'm like, it's almost like the Timmy in me goes, yeah, shush, shush. I'm putting Aldrazi from my hand into play for free. You know, who gives a shit? But yeah, it was an interesting, like, 
it's funny how it takes a card like this. It's really complicated. that does a lot of things somehow to realize that power creep <laughs> is a very real thing. And sometimes immediate value is the only way to kind of get a card to be like, you know, like competitively viable. Mm. Um, even if I do think everything else about the card does have this kind of very cool, like uh, flavor, flavor aspect to it. And I do still think, you know, it's still annoying. That it didn't fit Bard. You could definitely fit Bard at the end of that creature type line. Don't, 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 don't at me wizards. All right. You can fit human bard werewolf werewolf human bard human werewolf bard maybe that's why they didn't do it okay maybe it doesn't yeah <laughs> it doesn't roll off the sounds well. stupid. it does stupid right and this is another issue i find that we, we spoke about this i think before as well didn't we about how it's weird having both human werewolf on the on the front side where it could just be i don't know a werewolf because it kind of then ties you down because you can't have their multiple creature types and having more than two always sounds really fucking clunky like mm. human soldier scout and things like that like it just doesn't sound right and it's why i, I think also adding just a fraction onto the end of every fraction didn't work when you've got two creature types as well sometimes it's just a bit it's not very it's not very succinct right it's not, it's, but i feel like the bard would have added a little bit of extra flavor to to maybe to, to it. I don't know, yeah yeah i don't know why it stood out so much to me but again it's nice to have cards that do have a benefit on the day bound side because i feel like that's something they were missing it always feels like they filled a lot of the holes it was like they, they deliberately went hey here's those werewolves in midnight hunt and everyone went yeah but also did we oh don't worry they're coming in crimson vow hey yeah i you you were right they did put some of the some of the better more flavorful werewolves in crimson vow because it just makes it this just makes it sound like i'm really down on midnight hunt i loved midnight hunt i still love midnight hunt um, I have had so much more fun with my werewolf deck than I initially thought I would when I first started seeing the spoilers. Like it really flipped me around. I was a bit down on it when I first, when it first released, and then actually it grew on me quite rapidly. And I, I'm still up on it, but it is maybe a little bit annoying to me that they did put some of the more functionally viable and flavorfully like fun werewolves in the Crimson Vow set. If anything, and this is super fucking Vorthos nerdy, doesn't even matter, shut the fuck up, Andy, territory. Um, I don't... <laughs> I wanted the werewolf set symbol on all the werewolves in my set, if I could. <laughs> oh, fucking hell. I don't want the, bat, the bat set symbol it. in them. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. I understand. Yeah, It's also kind of interesting how the bat set symbol is so different from anything, I guess it's not actually that different from um, Dark Ascension. Yeah, it's interestingly very enough, they've got kind of a similarity. I think there was a lot of complaints at how the Midnight Hut set uh, set symbol looked very similar to the Adventures of the Forgotten Realm set symbol. Yeah, even like, though they almost came directly identical. after, which, almost identical, which is really bizarre because they could have done anything. I guess you can't do the the, the Wolf Head because Scourge did that already as their set symbol. Because that's a whole other conversation, right? Set symbols. But I mean, we never done yeah. an episode on set symbols. We absolutely Because should. it's both really boring and also really interesting. <laughs> like it means we have to research everything throughout the entirety of magic just to talk about set symbols. <laughs> you know? I feel like it, it's Oh, it, that it's, sounds like so not something that we would totally do. Okay, fine. It's in the oh yeah, I'm writing it down. <laughs> I'm writing it down. <laughs> cool. Good. Uh, good. What's your next one, buddy? My next one is a specific card, and it is a specific card. This isn't me using this as a representation of something else in the set. And that is Thalia, Guardian of Thraben. Mm. If you don't know what Thalia, Guardian of Thraben is, firstly, do you even play Magic the Gathering? Um, secondly, it's a one and a white for a human soldier, legendary creature, 2-1, first strike. No uh, Non-creature spells cost one more to cast. This particular artwork is by Magali Villeneuve, and the flavor text reads, Thraben belongs to the living. I will not rest until it is cleansed. Has there ever been another example of a reprint in a third return block set 
of a card from the first time we were there for a legendary creature. I know it's very specific. Do you know what I mean? Because Thalia, Guardian of Thraben, was originally printed in OG Innistrad, right? Obviously with a completely different artwork and a completely different context for the character. And then we got uh, Thalia, Heretic, Cathar in Shadows over Innistrad. And now we've got a third Thalia card, which we always knew we were going to get. Like There was no way we weren't going to get a Thalia card. But it's the reprint of the original one from OG Innistrad, but with different artwork. Has that has that happened before? I cannot recollect it ever happening because the only other th- sets I can think of that we return to multiple times are things like Dominaria, but it's not really the same. It's not the same thing, right? Because it's all the different continents and stuff like that. Ravnica, they specifically always give us new ones. Like Niv Mizzet always has some random new plain um, new, new legendary card or two in the same block, depending. Yeah. So I can't. I can't think, no. I can't think that they have, no. Yeah. yeah. And it's, I, I don't it's, think so. It's really interesting to me, and it was such a big swing, actually, to give us a reprint. Because Thalia Garden of Thraben is, correct me if I'm wrong, is very playable in Legacy. Modern, Legacy, in yeah, it's good. Any 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 format that likes playing um, lots of cantrips, uh, lots of cheap spells, any any yeah. f- any any format that has like storm or something like that, yeah, Thalia is very yeah. good. Yeah, and it, obviously there was a secret layer which had uh, four copies of Thalia, Garden of Thraven, all by different artists. Again, by a lot of them by Johannes Voss and uh, I think Magali Villain. Yeah, it was two and two. Two and two, yeah. And uh, Johannes Voss was one of two artists that uh, illustrated the original uh, Thalia, Guardian of Thraben. Um, so there's obviously a lot of heritage there. But I just think it's... A, obviously, that's really good for reprint equity, right? Because this is a very playable card. I don't know how expensive it is to buy now. I mean, it's a few quid. I think... Yeah, so it's, it's not... Five? Like, yeah, so five, it's not super five, expensive. Five bucks, but if yeah, you need four for a deck and loads of people play this card in different formats, like that's still expensive enough. Um, so obviously, that's really cool. But the reason I'm picking it as a flavor pick is because Magali Villeneuve did the art for this. And uh, the tweet that she sent out when uh, she revealed this card, I've got it up on my phone, uh, was... Uh, Thalia, Garden of Thraben, MTG and a Strike Crimson Bell. Thalia has become a beloved character for me through my magic years painting her uh, in various cards. I had the honour to paint her again thanks to Taylor Ingverson, who was the AD, uh, and I could go dark as I liked here. And fuck me, did Magali give Thalia a bit of a dark glow... Not glow up. How would you... What's the opposite of a glow up? A dank down? A dank down. Um, Thalia looks... <laughs> Thalia looks done with your shit, is what oh, Thalia yeah, she's done with like. all this shit, yeah. So this is a Thalia that has fought off demons. This is a Thalia that's thought of, fought off zombies. This is a Thalia that's fought... God, that's a tongue twister. A Thalia that has fought off Eldrazi and vampires and everything. And you can see in the background. So this shows um, Thalia inside what looks to me like a chapel. Um, and wearing incredibly heavy armor, big pauldrons, like heavier armor than we've seen even in Heretic Cathar when she was a bit more armored up even then. This is now more so long bedraggled hair like down past her waist a dark harrowed look in her eyes but determined not not broken just more like you know this is thalia like in the kind of kick-ass years and then the the background you see a, a paned window with a bunch of zombie hands pressing up against it so this is obviously the sort of aftermath of where Liliana um, summoned a zombie horde to protect Thraben from the Eldrazi horrors in in Eldritch uh, Moon. Um, And the flavor text reads, 
Tharban belongs to the living, I will not rest until it's cleansed. So this is obviously Thalia dealing with that fallout. And whereas in other cards in this set, like the catapult card I mentioned earlier, deal with the kind of maybe lighter side of the fact that there are now zombies everywhere, this is obviously dealing with the more serious issue of, oh, okay, like there's now an influx in Thraben of undead. This is exactly what in the original inner strategy fought against. Um, and yeah, I just think it's such an in- in- interesting idea to have the same card literally the same card not even a functional reprint this is literally just a reprint with a completely different flavor in a in a return return set and it's just completely full circle for the character um yeah obviously again just the quality of artwork as well from Gali is is obviously great you know yeah it's it's a it's, a, it's an interesting flavor point right of can a character revert back to how we saw them in a previous because that's the point right is that she's no longer considered to be like the renegade cathar she is now back to essentially being just you know what she was it's almost like going back as you said going back to your roots of she is always going to be the guardian of thraben and do we need a third because this is an argument to be made against odric right because odric is almost like they kept trying to be like oh we've got to give him a new character give him a new character and within this set they turned him into a vampire and they gave him the same kind of ability where it's like keyword soup tribal right of where it mm. does something keyword soupy and it's so lackluster and there's been like such pushback against his card to the point of where Mara's even been like yep we, we understand we've taken it on board we'll look at that going forward so because i guess they've taken like a a beloved character whether odric's more beloved or not than thalia is is questionable but well, in the same not at all, of course, but in the same breath breath of saying people expected more from the Odric card because of their love and their and, and, and you know their own biased expectation. It's mm. almost like the, the reverse with Thalia of where I've never I've, I haven't seen a single person kind of like going like, Oh, she didn't get a new card. It's almost people going like, Oh, interesting, they've kind of given her back the status that she it's almost like that's her natural state, right? She's always the guardian sure. of Thray Ben, and we just happened to catch her in a glimpse of being the heretic Cathar in, in, in the Well, because um, the heretic Cathar was something that was placed upon her because of the Lunok Council kicking her out of the Church of Abyssin, essentially. Precisely, the yeah. And then she started the Order of uh, St. Traft with Odric and obviously the Geist of St. Traft. Um, but I, th- I think this is probably, and this might be like, again, I tend to do these big dramatic pontifications on magic cards in, in these kinds of episodes. This is probably one of the better examples of where you have that very classic spike mentality. And I don't even know if anyone actually has this mentality, but this is the kind of extreme of people going, well, you know, they could just be literally like beige cards with writing on them and the game would still Mm. function exactly the same way. This is one of the most kind of um, prominent examples of where you could fight against that because this is literally the same card, but because the flavor of it is so completely different and the narrative that it's telling because of that flavor with the flavor text and the art and the the abilities feeding into where Thalia is now as well. It is almost a new card. It it feels like a fresh card to me, at least. Like even down to like the the dress that they're wearing, like the the more heavy, slightly more generic armor. It still feels very Thalia, but it's not the the kind of military tasseled uh, shoulder pads. It's not the very Church of Avacyn. There's no Avacyn's collar on any of the of her dress, at least as far as I can see. Her hair has gone from being bright golden blonde like it is in almost every other card to like almost white blonde because you know again done with the shit but you know i don't think she's gone gray i just think that's you know the lighting is showing that this isn't the kind of innocent almost cherubim thalia that still had to deal with a lot in other sets right like thalia was never um like a helpless damsel thalia was always the protagonist and the hero and the and the kind of forefront leader but Thalia was an example to the rest of Innistrad that there could still be 
beauty and ferocity and hope all in one encapsulated person and that this person was like wrongly vilified by those who are corrupt so to see them in this kind of more uh i don't know mercenary looking role again again this is this is this is flavor informing the function of the card i think in the in the most beautiful way and yeah i I think it was a really bold move to reprint this card and I, I love it. I'm absolutely here for it. Yeah. Her stance hasn't changed, but everything else about her has. Like, even if you have the card, the original like printing of Thalia Garden Thraben and the, the newest iteration side by side, it's like night and day. They look completely different. Obviously, it's funny because cards have changed in time since then. So we've got a new border. Mm-hmm. There's now the flourish of the legendary creature on the top of it as well. Like, like the cards do look completely different. And I guess it's also quite nice for those that weren't able to get the secret lair drop or the um, um, qualifier promo, the one that um, the, the the one where it's the close up of her face. If you weren't able to get that or the secret lair drop, you now still have four different cards you can get. You know, for your playset, you have the black and white treatment as well as the um, Dracula um, treatment as well. So you, you technically got all four with the original and then the normal printing in the set as a playset as well, which is kind of kind of interesting. Do you know what's kind of the the thing that I think lets the only thing that I feel like maybe lets it down is that, and this is probably why I'm kind of glad they doubled down and just did a reprint. Is that a lot of people are expecting there to be a flip card of where it's Thalia, and on the flip side, it's Thalia like imbued with with um, Saint Traft because Saint Traft mm. doesn't really sharp at all during the set, which is kind of curious. Yeah, um, I was and, a bit disappointed by that actually. And the other thing as well is we've got to a point of where we've had a Mazawa Jite. Give me, give me Thalia's rapier. Yes, yes, very good shout. Yeah, because it's right. very distinctive. It's always always has been. That little, that little. It's not. I mean, it's basically like it is essentially just a, th- a thin blade. But it's that that the 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 uh, bit around the handle. I can't remember what it's called. Where it kind of does. It's like a, a handguard almost kind of feel. And it's got. Yeah. I just want give give me it. Give me it now, wizards, please. Or at least next mm. next set. It would be quite nice to see. Um, yeah. Very. Yeah, cool. Otherwise, yeah. It's quite. Yeah. It's very. It's a very interesting point and a very kind of bold point that they're willing to go. We can reprint characters in sets, especially if it's a high commodity card, without having to explain. The flavor. If, if you hit the nail on the head with the flavor the first time, does it matter if it's the same creature, the, se- the same character, the second time around? Like I've, I've had very little pushback. So yeah, it's kind of interesting. One they got away with it, but more that they were willing to do it in the first place. Yeah, hundred percent. Cool. Here for Thalia. Keep going. Aye. Uh, so from one um, a character that we've seen back um, in the exact same fashion to a character that I wasn't ever sure we were ever going to see. Um, Rudo Strongcat. Rudo. We, we got him. We got him. And not only is he is he bringing bringing all of his cool, sexy, lovely diminus to um, to, to the party, he's also bringing um, the the the, deep, <laughs> the dread sea lord Corthus as well, Lord mm. of the Deep. Also Crothus, uh, Lord of the Deep. So it's gonna be this is mouthy, as you say. There's a lot of words on magic cards recently. Um, one blue black for a one four vampire cleric. Obviously, he's legendary. He's got flying. Um, when he enters the battlefield, put up to one target creature card from your graveyard on top of your library. At the beginning of your upkeep, look at the top card of your library. You may reveal a card. You may reveal that card. If it is a creature card with with a sorry mana value, oh God, I nearly said CMC there, with mana value six or greater, um, transform Runo Stromkirk. And it transforms into a 3-5 Kraken Horror, Crothus Lord yes. of the Deep. Also a flyer weird not not, not going to touch that but sure whenever crothus lord of the deep attacks create a tapped and attacking token that's a copy of another target attacking creature if that creature is a kraken leviathan octopus or serpent create two of those tokens instead who boy this is mm-hmm. this is some powerful stuff this is a lot of stuff going on and it's a nice 
succinct little bit of flavor i mean we, we've wondered for a while whether or not you know the the rune the, the stromkirks i mean it's it's not been let into that far to be fair in the same fashion that we've just kind of found out about this new house that leans into demons we didn't really know too too much about runo beyond his like kind of likes the sea kind of has an obsession with this kind of god kind of thing mm. and i like that the card himself instead of giving crothus a separate card flavor mechanically runo's the one that brings crothus about it's his faith and his machinations and his his magic you know his his specific craft that brings about the lord of the deep and I just like that Lord of the Deep doesn't just bring himself when he attacks, he brings others with them. You know, he, he brings the entire ocean with him. And I kind of like the fact that Rudo's clearly not shown up to the wedding. You know? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, he's yeah. Not, like, he's doing his own thing. Yeah, there, there are some Stromkirks um, that are representing at the wedding, which is quite nice. They very easily could have just been like, he still didn't show up. We're still not going to show him. We're still going to wait until the next set. And I would have like, you know, flipped the apps. I would have flipped everything. I'd have flipped my own house if I could have, because they managed to get not just Runo as a card, which I think succinctly has a lovely flavor. I like the fact that he's a flip card to have two different characters. It's kind of, it epitomizes the thing I like about transform cards, right? Of where he is bringing about this. It's the same thing that happens with, um, uh, what's, 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 who was, who was, who was it that brought Ormond all around in the last set? The, the, the flip card. Oh, sure. What's his yeah. name? Jadar Corrupt or something. Vicious. Corrupted. Yeah, exactly. Precisely. This idea of 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 the of the peons, the minions, kind of bringing about their elder elder gods. You know, I like this idea quite a lot. I feel like it's a nice um a nice flavor beat and a nice succinct bit of flavor. But I also like the fact that we see all of them. We have all of the vampire nobles and lords and everything in this set. We still obviously get, we get an Edgar. Um, everyone's very disappointed he's not all three colours I'm going to tell the bitches to get over it because realistically we didn't need I guess the only reason that you could argue that they needed one was you needed one that was slightly less automatically powerful and <clears throat> exceptionally <clears throat> overpriced you know to, to be able to represent your Mardu tribe but I kind of like the fact they've given you all of these different options in the Vampire Nobles yeah we've got Runo's... Anya Falcon Wrath shows up again exactly yeah. Anya made of Dishonor and also mm. she looks great she's playing off this kind of um, like metrosexuality kind of aspect which i think is really cool i like the fact that, that they've also got henrika domnathi that we haven't seen before like this whole this whole um bloodline of, um, of vampires that well, kind of uh, deal in the with commander deck, demons. you've got a uh, strephon mora as well of the mora estate exactly really so cool. you've got yeah. you've got all of these different vampire kind of tribes which in the vampire set yes okay so in midnight home we only got one legendary werewolf i feel like it's there's there's a big argument as to whether or not well, that clearly werewolves don't have a lot of different flavor directions or mechanical directions they can go in because look at all these different vampires they can do. It's like, well, yeah, well, werewolves do kind of a very specific thing and they needed a representation that kind of made that mechanic kind of come to fruition. And I feel like Tovalar does that quite succinctly that you didn't need to then muddy it with all these other werewolves that we haven't really heard about anyway. Whereas we've heard about all of these different bloodlines. This is the perfect time, as in the latest story Teferi says, like weddings are about bringing people together. And it's quite nice to see all of the different households kind of under under one under one banner all at the same like all there all kind of bitching about each other talking about each other that kind of idea i also like the fact that the wedding invitation doesn't offer a plus one right which is sure. probably why bruno didn't show up because he couldn't bring crothus with him <laughs> <laughs> that's how i look at it anyway yeah but i mean it's just yeah. it's just so good to see like i mean obviously this is yet another uh cthulhu reference right like and i i sort of feel like they're saturating it a little bit uh, not yeah. just in Australia, but magic in general how many like crackney lord things are there but i mean this is like this is the archetype this is like the that. cthulhu right this feels like the like he feels a look he looks more like it i feel like he's he, he 
maybe has more of a even Garuda was a Kraken horror, but kind of just looked like a normal Kraken. This looks like a fucking Kraken horror. Yeah, this could be and a the God, Matt right? Stewart artwork, which I think is fantastic for Crothus. I mean, obviously for Uno as well, is just is really evocative of it. Yeah, flying is a bit of a weird one. Um, maybe should have had like Reach. I don't know. I just even think like I guess they don't want to do something too similar with all the others, where they do like Island Walk or Swamp Walk or like I would like Ward maybe maybe on it because like it's you know an eldritch monstrosity that's kind of like veiled by its own magic as well as all of like the, the ocean and stuff i feel like ward's a good example of that of where if you put enough magic into it you can fire into the depths of the ocean otherwise the sea kind of protects all i mean i'm not sure okay i just want to see him flapping i guess doesn't cthulhu in law have wings he does doesn't he well yeah pretty sure no, this is yeah. exactly a direct analog, but I mean, I think if Cthulhu no. can fly. I mean, I'll tell you what, like the the Eldritch Horror deck tech that I did, um, like many many episodes ago, I think would almost be completely revamped because of cards in the in the past sort of year or so. They've done they've had this kind of Eldritch Horror thing running through so many sure, different yeah. sets, and this one obviously, I mean, th- this would be a contender for the commander if I wanted to take white out of it. Um, yeah, very cool, very cool. Runo Stromkirk, good to see you, mate. Yeah, exactly, and didn't didn't disappoint. The only thing I will say, and this is going to lead into my last like flavor pick which is like an anti-flavor pick is i'm surprised he was rare you know i'm well, surprised that when henry yeah henrika domnathy being a mythic is kind of like okay sure but then the fact that edgar runo and anya are all rares kind of it's a bit weird to me i'm not sure i guess they couldn't fit this is an argument and there's a big thing that mary's been saying recently about they have to wait mythics and cycles and stuff like that and people get annoyed if one color has a mythic and the other color combinations don't like cool whatever fuck it, yada 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 um, it's just yeah it's just strange but i think it's quite a strong unique powerful ability that instead they give it to a generic cycle but we'll get to that we'll get to that what's, what's, your, what's your last pick uh, my last pick is very quick one this one uh, is uh, kaya geist hunter which is Legendary Planeswalker Kaya for one white-black, um, three loyalty when it comes in, plus one creature control gain test touch until end of turn, put a 1-1 counter on up to one target creature you, token you control, minus two until end of turn. If one or more tokens will be created under your control, twice that many tokens get created instead. And uh, minus six, exile all cards from all graveyards and create a 1-1 white spirit creature token with flying for each card exiled this way. Um, some one-one counter stuff going on there. Some tokeny stuff going on there. I think when this card will make a lot more sense to people when they read the story a lot more. Um, kind of what Kai is all about. Um, I do like this kind of continued thing of having black-white be a very token-heavy uh, strategy. Black-white is incredibly versatile just as a color combination. Like I don't think I really don't think people give it credit enough. I know I am the oars of like simp here, but I, I like it does so much. It does aristocrats it does tokens it does life gain it does aggro it, it it's fantastic let's just let's just all agree white black is the best color pairing in magic okay good right moving on the uh the ryan Pan, <laughs> uh panko start here is the thing that i'm talking about so this is the regular version for for kaya uh geist hunter although the alt art does have a similar feel um kaya is just a fucking badass at this point she is she is sick when have we ever seen a kaya card that hasn't automatically made you go like Fuck, Kaya just rules. Like, everything, even in the early cards, even in the really early cards. Like, I think the the very first um, Kaya Ghost Hunter, is it Kaya's? No, Ghost Ghost Assassin? Oh my god, I can't Ghost remember. Ghost Assassin, I think it was. Ghost yeah. Assassin. So there, there were two artworks in that one. And I think the, the original one where it's just um, Kaya propped up against a wall was maybe not the most evocative, but you still got her kind of cool ghost blades. And then the altar of that one where it's Kaya 
phasing through a wall. People were like, holy shit, like, you know, that's really cool. And just every time you see Kaya in the story, in artwork, on key art, whatever, she's always got these different weapons that are being imbued with her ghost form energy. Because obviously she's got her ghost daggers, that's like her main thing. But then in Kaldheim, we've got the axes, and in this one, we've got, uh, she seems to have, she's got her daggers down by her side, which are constantly on as well. I kind of assumed they're a bit like lightsabers, like they were only really on when, like, you kind of activate them, but they're constantly on there. She seems to have some kind of ghost form bomb grenade strapped to the back of her belt. Right. Like, that's got to be a grenade. That's like a holy hand grenade, right? I mean, it could just be like a vessel or something. But obviously, the big, the the money shot here is the fucking ghost form crossbow. That she's got in her hands. She's busting through the stained glass window, wielding a crossbow imbued with her own ghost form energy. Like, I mean, come on. Like, yeah, Kyra is just so cool. Sick. I just like there's no there's no fancy words for me. There's no comparing this artwork to the Dutch Masters. There's no me talking about the philosophy of magic and card design, f- function versus flavor. Kyra is just fucking awesome. And every time I see Kyra, I'm absolutely here for it. I mean, just like there's there's big um uh Oh my gosh. I'm going to have to edit this down. I can't remember what's the name of the... Bishop. Bishop from X-Men. Right? Do you know yes. the character of Bishop from X-Men? Absolutely, yeah, he's yeah, got yeah. the He's got the same sort of abilities that a lot of other mutants have, where it's about kinetic energy that they put into things. Like Gambit has the same thing. But Bishop puts yeah. it into, like, firearms. So he'll put his kinetic uh, mutant power into firearms and fire off bolts of, like, super-powered charges and shit. And he's from the future, and he looks awesome. Kaya is Bishop. <laughs> just just pumping her energy into Bishop like Bishop meets weapons. Shadow Cat, right? Yeah, so yeah, she's yeah. Got, she's got such cool combination of abilities. And do you know what? I love the fact that they don't just rely on the fact that she can blitz through walls and shit. I, I really like that she she's not a one-note powered planeswalker. If you had a power, like a superpower, which was like kind of more tangible, you would find interesting ways of using it, right? Like she's not just a, a a Chandra who's just like, oh, I can set things on fire or whatever. Although, to be fair to the character Chandra, that, you know, in earlier iterations of the character, you do see them having, like, elementals and stuff that they use their powers for or whatever. But, you know, it's Kyra is just so not one note and everything they do is cool. It's just it's just cool, Nathan. I really like Kyra. <laughs> well, you know what's funny is in her, like, normal, like, standard artwork, she can phase shift, right? But she's still just busting through the window. <laughs> Like, you don't have to do that. You can just phase through. And she's like, nah, I'm nah. Like, dramatic entrance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, oh, man. And in, in like, the Raymond Swanland, like, full art treatment, um, like, I love this idea of, um, this is a fantastic art style choice we haven't really touched on at all. The blood petals, like, that are that's in this set. That's the motif that's through a lot of this set, yeah. It's so cool. I love it so much. And you can see her slicing through a vampire. And as she's slicing, she's, he's, he's kind of, like, disintegrating into these petals. It's such a beautiful shot. Um, and what's because uh, I think yeah I'm just looking through all of her artworks. Kaya's Kaya's the nut. She's she's great. And in the, even in the story, she's got like she comes across so cool. She's almost like infallible. She's quite an infallible character. Like because she didn't even come across with very many. Like usually they give like characters like hang ups and stuff when you kind of get like from a protagonist's point of view. Like we're seeing a lot of things from uh, Sorin's point of view, and a lot of it's like people go, oh actually they're presenting him in a much better light. It's like yeah, but he's still got his like issues and stuff. Like he's still got his uh, biases and all that nonsense with Kaya. She can't do no wrong, really. It's almost like they've kind of they've they've kind of created like the perfect character where she's got really cool abilities. It could kind of be used in various different places. You're never sad when she shows up in a nope. story. You never get kind of like, oh, here's Kaya again with all their cool weapons and cool abilities. I bet she's gonna do something cool. What a shame. Yeah, yep. you don't really get that. And I feel like it's the same with cards. Like I like the fact they keep doing this. 
isolating her her cards to specific things, right? So also of Usurper played around like um it was only really useful um against like getting really low to the ground threats um, and, and, and exiling things from graveyards. Like it's not a generically super powerful planeswalker. Even in Exor- the Akai the Exorable, which I think is probably the most the closest you come to just like does the typical planeswalker thing of where plus one for for benefit for adva- a small amount of advantage, card advantage on the minus and then a big fuck off um you know ultimate a lot of our other planeswalkers um, cards don't really do that they kind of play against the norm which kind of feel like her character does that as well as everything else like yeah very very good very, very good cool Kaya. like even even yeah. talking about Orzabu Serper, that's potentially the artwork is probably the least Kyrish artwork out there because she's just stood there in her walls of regalia looking cool but even then she looks super cool like she's not even doing any ghost form shit in that. She's just like, yeah, I run the all's of. Fuck you. Like, it's just exactly. Just, yeah, so what? You, what? What are you gonna do about it? It's like nothing. Yeah, like, there is literally I can't touch you. Yeah, I have absolutely no issues with the fact that Kai is quickly becoming the face of the game. Um, I think it's well overdue for yeah. a character that's not. I mean, she is technically part of the Gatewatch now, but not like classic Gatewatch. Like, I think Kai is the because they're trying to push Vraska and Ral as well. And they're both very cool characters, a lot of time for Vraska especially. But Kai just blasts them both out of the water as a as an interesting protagonist. Um, yeah. I kinda yeah, think it's so- funny now I look at her oath her, the oath of Kai as well, and she's technically holding her hand up in phase shift. Is that kind of like crossing your fingers? Yeah. Does it, does it really count? <laughs> You're like, because you're not, does it really care? It's like, oh, I'm, I'm oathing, but oh, I wasn't tangible. Does It doesn't count. You yeah. can't hold me to it. <laughs> Look, I wasn't tangible. You can't have a go at me. <laughs> oh, I love it. Fantastic. Good. Yeah. I mean, yeah. oh, brilliant. Right, good. Well, my, um, my last, my last one's a little, uh, it's a little bit of a downer. And that's because I kind of really enjoyed the adversary cycle um, as much as I was kind of annoyed that they were. And I think I said this in the episode. I was like, yada, yada, yada. Abilities don't really matter. They've clearly pushed these to be a cycle of strong cards at Mythic. We have the cemetery cycle. Um, and the, the, the issue I have for this is twofold, right? I mean, my main issue is that I thought we weren't putting Mythics on generically powerful cards. And I know that's something that's beaten to kind of de- to death a little. But sometimes I find it's really... Pre- it's really prominent um in, with some cycles and like there was again a, a conversation um because someone was complaining about i can't remember if it was that edgar wasn't three colors or something along those lines that so mario basically did a, a long breakdown of how trying to please every player is is so difficult and i mean that's a, that's an obvious thing if, if someone who's not super biased who understands how like you know creating a product is going to be and he said like things like waiting of cycles and they want to, if they didn't do the cycle effectively, then then they get complaints for that as well. But I don't see the point of doing a generic ability. And this is because the cemetery cycle all have an ability of when they enter the battlefield or sometimes something else, whether it's when they attack or when they die, um, or I think that's only two things actually. Yeah. When they attack or when they die, like it will <laughs> trigger again to exile a card from a graveyard. And then based on what card they exiled from that graveyard, an effect happens. So for the white one, for example, when it ETBs, you exile a card from a graveyard and it's got flash. And whenever you, the person who plays the Cemetery Protector, play a land or cast a spell that shares a card type with the exiled card, you get a 1-1 token. With Cemetery Illuminator, the blue one, it's a spirit. Um, The card that you exile, you can look at the top card of your library and once per turn you can play that card if it shares a card type with it. Cool. Cemetery Desecrator, the black one. Whenever you exile a card, you remove... Um, X counters from target permanent where X is the mana value of the exile card or you give a creature minus X minus X where X is the mana value of the exile card. Okay, mm. cool. The red one has a punishment effect of you, it, it, when it ETBs you exile a card and whenever 
any player plays a land or casts a spell that shares a card type with it, Cemetery Gatekeeper deals two damage to that player. Okay, cool. And then Cemetery Prowler, the green one, exiles a card when it enters the battlefield or attacks. Put, bear in mind this is on a 3-4 for 3 mana vigilant. Fucking fuck green. But whenever it, whenever it attacks or enters the battlefield, exile a card and spells you cast cost one less for each card type that share a card type. I, I get it, right? So they're all playing around this idea of you plunder uh, the, the, the grave, right? And then you get an added benefit or a specific way of kind of your, your your play style kind of bends around it. I kind of get that. And as a cycle, I get it. They all have different aspects of, of how they interact with the cemetery, even though cemetery protector compared to cemetery gatekeeper, but one's a vampire, one's, one's, a, one's a human. Is it the same cemetery? Are they mm. different cemeteries? And this is where I find like it kind of falls apart a little bit for me because I don't understand beyond the fact that clearly they all do powerful things, right? And I feel like some of them are plants. Like Cemetery Gatekeeper is a punishment effect in red. It's kind of like Harsh Mentor um, or, or cards like that that kind of you play and they punish your opponent for just doing the thing they're naturally going to do and it gives the color a bit of reach. I get it. Cool. Blue, we very, Blue very rarely gets to play off the top of the library effect unless it's something like, say, um, fuck, Future Sight, right? Mm. And cards like that or Precognition pre- Field, which is usually specific to like, instants or sorceries or whatever. But, it, you know, it's nice to see that on a creature effect. White making tokens, cool, whatever. Black killing things, cool, whatever. Green making things cheaper, cool, whatever. But they don't. I don't feel like they have an overarching kind of thematic amongst them, apart from the mechanical. And this is where I kind of feel like it falls down. Is it's a mythic by mechanic, not a mythic by flavor. And I quite like the adversary cycle because even though they all did the same thing of where you kind of almost felt like they shoehorned the mechanic and pushed it to kind of work for for the cycle of where they have multi kicker and they do a different thing each when you multi kick them. Cool, I get it. But they also had this idea of they're all stalking each other around around this probably the the hostile hostel as we said like and they've kind of got this murder mystery aspect or they're trying to kind of figure out and kind of like kind of batten against each other. I don't get what the flavor of this cycle is, and I feel like that's kind of what lets me down a little bit. Where other cards like Runo that have a lot more flavor integrity don't get mythic status specifically because they just did the mythic cycle of the set and one or two of the cards are clearly going to be very strong and so it's going to make it really expensive and it kind of plays against what the whole point of mythic should be Mm. in my mind and i feel like that's that's where i feel like the difference between this set and the last set were whereas i feel like last set i found flavor in aspects i wasn't expecting whereas in this set i kind of expected them to kind of carry that on and always felt like there were certain parts that just didn't quite quite land and i feel like this cemetery cycle is kind of indicative of how sometimes they just go we're not just here to make cards to make you you know vorthos is happy we're also here to make cards for the spikes you know Mm. we're also here to make cards for tournaments we're still here to make cards that are going to be played to win and that's cool just don't put them at mythic Mm. you know and i know it's not necessarily a flavory thing but the fact that they are lacking in flavor i feel is the thing that irks me the most about it and Again, I like the idea that they all maybe are all different patrons of this cemetery, but it just doesn't it just doesn't quite have that same finesse, that same flourish that I feel that the other the other the other cycle did, the adversary cycle did. Um and it just I don't it just sits a little sits a little sad. Sits a little sad on my on, on, on my on my shoulders. Because I feel like there are other really cool mythics um in, in, in this set. Um things like Maniform Hellkite, I know it's a dragon or whatever, but it does a cool thing. And Cultivated Colossus, which is just all kinds of nutter butters and with abundance in play. Um I also have criticism about if you're gonna make a mythic dragon, maybe make it look slightly better than any of your other fucking dragons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like just make, make it look like it's doing the thing it's doing. Um I mean yeah. we spoke at length last time about the fact yeah, exactly. that the dragons on in a shred. Boring. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. 
Right. Well, yeah. I'm also going to end on a bit of a downer. Um, I kept this at the end. The reason I didn't start with this and then we did all the good stuff is because this is, I sort of feel like this is a very personal to me taste thing. Whereas everything else, I kind of feel like, you know, a lot of people can find a lot of joy in a lot of things that I've said. This one, I just feel like, I feel like anything where I'm unhappy, I tend to feel like I'm in the minority because I just, I just don't enjoy maybe... Or I find things maybe annoying that other people just kind of don't give a shit about, which is fine and actually probably a lot more healthy um, because this is just a card game. Pardon me. Still getting over a bit of a cough. Um, and it is uh, it is the Planeswalker, Chandra, Dressed to Kill. Uh, Chandra Dressed to Kill. Now, I'm I, sorry, I'm also, I'm also going to flag up here. I changed my pronunciation of Chandra and Chandra willy-nilly because I, I know it's Chandra, but I've said Chandra. Chandra. I've said Chandra for Chandra. so long. <laughs> so I do apologize straight off the bat. This is already undermining it. Uh, but yeah, Chandra Dress to Kill is one red red for a legendary planeswalker Chandra uh, for three loyalty plus one. Add red. Uh, Chandra Dress to Kill does one damage to up to one target player of a planeswalker uh, plus one again. Exile the top card of your library. It's red. If it's red, you may cast it this turn. <laughs> it's red. Um, minus seven. Exile the top five cards of your library. You may cast red spells from among them this turn. You get an emblem with whenever you cast a red spell, this emblem deals X damage to target uh, any target where X is the amount of mana spent to cast this spell. So, you know, it, it does all the red things. It's kind of a very solid cross the board reds planeswalker, really. Like, you know, it does the impulsive draw, it does the pinging, it does a little bit of like ramping in the kind of uh, uh, sort of red way of just kind Ritual. of giving you that. Yeah, that little extra push, right? It, it's just not giving you like, I mean, it's, you know. It's not like a green where it just kind of ramps you forever. Like it'll give you like one influx. It'll go, oh, there you go. Here's the money to do the thing this one time. Um, my biggest problem with this card is the name. This might be the worst name ever given to a planeswalker I have ever seen, and I hate it. Chandra dressed to kill. What? Because she's wearing a fucking dress. Who is she killing? She's a killer now. She's literally a killer, but that's fine because the pun in the name is that she's wearing a fucking dress this time round. It's I I I really don't usually like going after individual um like aspects of a card in terms of its kind of uh, like creativity because somebody or a group of people even clearly thought that this name was creative, that it was funny, it was a bit of a pun, that it kind of changes things up. It's like, hey, we see Chandra in this whole kind of new aesthetic, like you know, it's in this artwork. Uh, for the card that I'm looking at, which is the uh, regular artwork by Victor Titov, and then obviously the 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 OR frame uh, by oh you did say it earlier um, by Ekaterina Vermak, of course, who we were talking about, which is beautiful as well, by the way. That's fine, but why is the name informed by what I can only assume is literally just the artwork? Is it is it story relevant? that she's wearing a dress outside of her being able to attend the wedding, presumably at some point. Obviously, we're keeping this slightly separate from the stories. I just... I just... Like, why? This doesn't say anything about the Planeswalker. I hate it. So you have Chandra Ablaze, Chandra Acolyte of Flame, Awaken Inferno, Fire Artisan, Bold Pyromancer, Fire of Kaladesh into Roaring Flame, Flame Caller, Flames Catalyst, Flames Fury, Heart of Fire, Chandra Nalar, Novice Pyromancer, Pyrogenius, Pyromaster. Those are all of the other Chandra Planeswalker cards. And firstly, just rattling those off, 
boring as fuck. By yeah, the I was going to say, do you think they ran out of, of fire words? I, I <laughs> that might be only, the only reason. I think not only have they run out of fire words, I think they've run out of things to do with Chandra. I think the character is dead. If there was ever a, a, a card to point to, to go, so when did Chandra just become like nothing? Is this one, if that's how they feel like they're going to represent her. Compare this planeswalker in general and the naming conventions used for against Ajani. Ajani has Adversary of Tyrants, Caller of the Pride, Gold Mane, Mentor of Heroes, Inspiring Leader, Steadfast, Strength of the Pride, Great Hearted, Unyielding, Valiant Protector, Vengeant, Wise Counselor. None of those are boring. None of them don't evoke exactly where Ajani is at this point in time, because that's what Planeswalker cards are like, right? That was the justification of having Planeswalker cards um, being able to be on the battlefield at the same time as other Planeswalkers with the same name, because they changed that rule. It used to be that you couldn't have two Jaces on the battlefield at any one time, even on the other sides of the battlefield. Now it's like you can have as many as you like as long as they don't have the same name, because now they're legendary Planeswalker Ajani, right? That's their type. It's not actually their mm. name. So it gets around the legendary rule. But the idea was that the Planeswalker cards are that Planeswalker in a very specific moment in time. Like, you are summoning them in the metaverse of the game to your side. You are summoning Mentor of Heroes when he's mentoring heroes on Theros. You are summoning Ajani to your side when he's the Great-Hearted because he's pouring his all into trying to save Ravnica from Nicobolis and his um, and his army. Not only do they fucking never do that with the Chandra anyway, at least with the other Chandra names, it evokes who she is as a as a mage, she's obviously a pyromancer, as many of them infer. In the M20 series, where they did the three Chandras, and it was kind of her kind of journey through learning pyromancy, that was great. You had Acolyte of Flame, uh, Awakened Inferno, and Novice Pyromancer. That showed you where she was. Um, Fire of Kaladesh into Roaring Flame. Not the most inspired, but those Flipwalker cars definitely gave you a bit of a story, right? And I just don't know what they're trying to do with dress to kill it seems it just seems so hollow like what's the like dress to kill she she could be doing anything if you would just said oh yeah she's dress to kill what does that tell you who she is does that tell you what her powers are does that tell you where she what she's doing right now no it just tells you that she she's probably wearing something fancy and it being a combat card game that she's probably going to hurt something I just I hate it so much, Nathan. Am I being weird? Is this a weird thing to pick up on? No, because I think it's you're not the only one who's picked up on it. It's funny that I think it depends on the stance you on on the stance you take, right? Because it's because you you mentioned in one breath that you like the idea of when you catch um, a planeswalker in a moment, right? Mm. And this, if anything, I feel like epitomizes that entirely. The problem sure. is it's so the problem is it's so almost generic in the way it's doing it and it's funny because the first time i saw the card i saw the alternate artwork right i saw the um the, the uh Brem, the Berman Berman, artwork. Yeah. yeah and that was that was that was for me i was like that sold it because i was like damn we've never seen chandra look like this before we've never seen her looking fanciful and i like this idea dressed to come like oh, okay cool and she's got like the flame kind of motif off the back of her shoulders and then i saw the regular artwork i was like oh I know offense to the card. I think the card arguably still looks really good. I like I like mm-hmm. it how it pops in. I also like when planeswalkers interact more with the banner at the top because they kind of that's one of their thing, right? If their 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 character always overspills into the banner, and mostly it's cool. just usually the top of their head. Great, good. Whereas with dress to kill, like you've got flame effect even covering up one of the letters, which you know maybe may not be a bad thing, but like 
because it's a little bit more anime anime it's a little bit more cartoony like i'd feel like it doesn't sell that dress to kill aspect so much it's more focusing on the, the killing side rather than the the dress to kill aspect i, I don't think it's I don't think it, I don't think you're wrong in feeling rubbed because I feel like they deliberately tried to push that. I think they kind of wanted to move away from being anything that's say fire related, and this was kind of their way of going. Well, can we go tongue in cheek? Because that's kind of what Chandra's like. It's almost like if she was to name her own card, this is how she would name herself, and that's the kind of reason why I think it maybe gets away with it. It's like who's giving the planeswalker the tide to all like, their cards? The 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 in the moment thing. I can see what you're saying. Where you, this, this is her literally in the moment of her wearing a fancy dress. But if you again pulling it back to Ajani, and I know it's unfair because Ajani's cards are actually incredibly flavorful. I know I'm I'm kind of putting her against like one of the toughest kind of you know comparisons. But if you the in the moment thing is what I mean by you know, Ajani Vengeant, and that also fed into his colours, where he was the Boris Planeswalker. He didn't have any green in his colour identity in this particular one. Ajani Vengeant evokes where he is as a character, not just literally where he is physically. You know, like Ajani, uh, adversary of tyrants, you know, gives you, in M19, gave you an idea of him fighting Nicobolus. You know, it's it just... I, I just can't, I don't know, this is where it's gone too far. You know how I've always been a little bit sort of uh, um, unsure about like puns and kind of whimsical comedy in all of Magic? In this very episode, mm-hmm. I've spoken about how I liked the fact that they had fun with, you know, dying to serve and all that kind of thing. That is up to the line where I'm like, cool, because, you know, these, these are very sort of... um it's juxtaposed with the quite grim artwork and the grim aesthetic of having zombie butlers. Like it kind of plays off of ideas. Whereas Chandra dressed to kill is just them being like, huh, because she's wearing a dress. I hate it. I hate it. It's a shit planeswalker. It's the worst planeswalker name they've ever done. And (laughs) yeah, yeah, there you go. I think my concern is probably from a, from a narrative point of view, they seem to be kind of stuck in a rivet with her where she doesn't really have much, character diversity okay they've brought back the fact that you know her and adelina kind of canoodling and they haven't they've, they've kind of come back on their destro- destroying of, of decent canon with her and nissa um but i feel like otherwise narratively i feel like they don't really know what to do with her in terms of because she hasn't she's one of the few planeswalkers that hasn't had a second color you know i think jace is one of the only other ones i can think of that has only ever been that one color without having a second color because her her psychograph like her profile is very much she's a red walker and they've done, as you say, they've done so many versions of her now. It's like you've kind of written yourself into a corner. Unless you do something that's super weird and different like this, then it's just another f- flamey damage planeswalker, right? She and even like something like to be here, she just yeah, like torch, torch of defiance. I think is a perfect example of how to do her right of where you give her slight different things. Like you ha- she, we ha- we hadn't seen her do a ritual effect. We hadn't seen her do like impulsive draw yet. I, I think did it come out? before the other one i think there was one other one that might have done an impulsive draw aspect who knows but i feel like they're kind of yeah mechanically and creatively kind of written themselves into a corner with chandra and this kind of is overspilling yes so sorry actually yes torch defiance sorry on the screen that i'm looking at torch defiance is well away from the other planeswalkers torch defiance is actually a really good example of how to do a multi-layered name with narrative this is, is yeah. wild to me actually that oh, sorry i missed this i missed that one out torch defiance in kaladesh gave chandra a purpose and like a, a, a narrative foothold in that story because torch of defiance torch obviously fire pyromancy excellent core firing all cylinders but also the torch of defiance or the you know the torch of rebellion is kind of uh, in the lexicon of that kind of um 
of that sort of world of language if you're talking about rebellions or if you're talking about you know showing the way forwards a torch you know is is something that you think of so they have done it in the past where they've married up all the themes and it's been like cool excellent that's what we need from chandra it's just they they didn't even miss the mark here it's like they didn't try it's mm. like they just went here's the joke that like that's how little importance she has in this narrative that's how little she impacts actually what's going on around her they couldn't even come up with a planeswalker name that mattered she's dressed to kill could you imagine that on any other planeswalker could you imagine like liliana feeling oh, yeah. fancy like, <laughs> no, but I can imagine Liliana dress to, to kill. Actually, dress to kill would work with, for Liliana way yeah. better than it would do for anyone else. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, like, yeah, do you know what I mean? Like, could you imagine, if, like, you know, Jace reading a book? <laughs> it just doesn't <laughs> like what. Like, yeah, I just, ugh, ugh. Like, what the fuck is going to be next for this character? I just, I just don't even know. Yeah, it's true. I, I just don't. Know. I know it's sort of she sails down on like... strand and that's it. She can just be done. I mean, she's she's too much of like, hey, I want to be a part of the Gatewatch. She can stuck with me forever. Oh man, kind of thing. I know. The, the day that Chandra like burns out and then Kaya just kind of takes the place of is the day I'm happy. It's Give Kaya red, I... you cowards. Make her Mardu, <laughs> and then we've got Argu- a Red Walker. Yeah, arguably, I think like the name of conventions in general. This set. I mean, Geist Hunter isn't very evocative. Like, yeah, we know she 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 hunts Geist. That's kind of what she does. She's there to kill the spirits. Like, yeah, so yeah. in the Mirthless is kind of cool. I don't mind it too much. But Teferi, who slows the sunset. Like Teferi's another cool. one. Teferi and Jace are both that, ones. That was the well, thing. Like, yeah, yeah. That's that's the thing he, they, he did in the story. Cool. Good job. Great. Is that a title that he's going to now be known as? He slows the sun. He can slow any sunset. He can slow everything down. That's what <laughs> yeah. He yeah, you need a sunset slowed cool to ferry. Like, he's yeah, right. Man. You need a yeah. few more hours in your afternoon to fit, crack into that studying. Try to ferry aid. You know, like, yeah. I don't. I don't know. I, mean, I guess naming conventions of planeswalkers are hard when you've done literally like twenty of them. Um, and it's just funny that yeah, they kind of clearly tried to push the envelope, and they just went a bit too a bit too far. They've pushed the envelope so far, the letters fallen out. Yeah, but no, but if like again, right? So let's. I'm just going to read off the Lilianas, okay? Because I've, I've spoken about this enough, and like we're running a little bit long. But you have Liliana, Death Mage, Death's Majesty, Death Wilder, Dreadhorde General, Heretical Healer uh, into uh, Defiant Necromancer uh, of the Dark Realms of the Vale, uh, Walker of uh, Waker of the Dead, Liliana Vess, Untouched by Death, the Necromancer the last hope now arguably on the face of it many of those you could sort of argue are just oh it's just a play on her being a, a necromancer death mage death majesty death builder and a lot of them are but then you have other one like liliana dreadhorde general she is the dreadhorde general so even though that's so specific to her in that literal moment of time and it, it doesn't have a very sort of high fancy name like the ajani ones do like mentor of heroes is kind of just a cool name that he could take anywhere dreadhorde general is very much a place in time but liliana is the Dreadhorde General. It's not like Teferi who like slows the sun or whatever the fuck his name was, because that is something that he just did. It's not who he is. You know, Defiant Necromancer plays in with heretical Helia. Of the Dark Realms and of the Veil give you a really like satisfying look into Liliana in her place and time and her past. And indeed shows a lot of character growth going there for. So like Waker of the Dead maybe isn't the most exciting, but it is you know, it, it it's it evokes where she is post War of the Spark. You know, I just I. Yeah. <sighs> I it's it. all right, buddy. I feel I, I feel <laughs> you. Um, we, we we we've bookended this with me going, ah, but 
about the set in general, just something something not quite fitting, right? And then we're ending with a very specific card. Like so it's fine to be exasperated, like especially when they're doing when they do so much. I feel like it's kind of good to highlight the things we don't necessarily like because it's very easy for us to be so stuck on the look they've given us a giant slug horror yay and not kind of focus on like the little things that i do like the slug horror <laughs> yeah i do wish they'd stop slapping horror onto the end of everything though like there's two kraken horrors in the set there's a slug horror like it's like it was cool when it was like got like oh the nightmare horror oh that's exciting or like you know like i, I don't mind when every now and again they like put like something new in like demon demon nightmare and stuff like that i'm like oh okay but now they're just slapping horror on the end of anything i know it's the end strad and they can kind of get away with it but okay that's cool that's enough that's enough wizards that's enough. all right so <laughs> lots of good one incredibly terrible i think i really enjoyed crimson <laughs> vale like looking at it from like a flavor point of view i actually think there is a lot in there and uh, maybe it's symptomatic of the fact that they released it so close to midnight hunt that people are, are getting even more whiplash than they normally would with um sort of the the influx of product but it is kind of nice to have two very different flavors from the same plane rather than a lot of the time especially in the three set uh, block sets you kind of felt the flavor just carried on over a bit too much and it was just it was just more of the same whereas midnight hunt versus crimson vow they delivered they had two completely different innerstrad sets back to back creating a whole larger narrative that hopefully with the stories and the the story articles crimson vow are very good by the way um like yeah hopefully it will just kind of all stitch together um so yeah so i have I, I convinced you a little bit then i convinced you a little bit yeah absolutely you yeah, know I've, I've, I've changed my tune i mean i've come around to it again I, I just because i don't like a mythic cycle doesn't mean i shouldn't like the set right <laughs> fair enough and just because i think the name is the worst name they've ever done doesn't mean i don't like the set either. <laughs> exactly also at what point is a cobbled lancer the zombie horse not just a fucking centaur right cobbled lancer is terrifying and the thing with cobbled lancer is is that i feel like because they don't have centaurs on in Estrad, at least not that we've seen well so they do is, now <laughs> well but this, so this is this is someone who it's like imagine if you made up a dragon if you're like two and you've never seen a dragon before and you draw a picture of a dragon like it's your original idea and then someone else goes oh yeah they have they have those but yours is obviously some kind of nightmare version this is like some stitcher on Innistrad has gone, imagine if he had the body of a man, but the behind of a horse, what would that look like? And he's designed it. And Planeswalkers from everywhere else has gone, oh my fucking God. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, th- this the is terrifying what a centaur, centaur I've ever seen. And this this is, like, is what a centaur, centaur looks centaur? like on Innistrad. Yeah. yeah. No, I love that idea. I think it's great. Yeah, um, cool. All right, guys, let us know via our social media what you think of uh, Crimson Vow. Do you completely disagree? Do you think that this is maybe the most like ridiculous i've ever been talking about uh chandra's to kill or do you disagree with any of our actual flavor picks do you feel like this set has kind of fallen a little bit flat do you agree more with nathan do you agree more with me do you think that uh vulcan barger's excellent artwork of edgar markov charmed groom is actually maybe a little bit disappointing because what we really wanted was sexy edgar markov from the uh judge promo series right i mean let us know we got an all artwork. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Falcon Bark is a really good artist. It's a very good artwork. It's just not maybe the sexy Edgar we all deserved. Um, he's so old. He's so old. <laughs> he's so old. And he's so shunned. And I can't wait for him to flip he's his so shit at everyone. Oh, no, um, really all right. Let us know via our Twitter at MT Flavoring. Uh, my personal Twitter is at Andy Manface. Nathan's, yours is at the Fox in the Moon. Emails go to mtflavoring at gmail.com. Uh, and yes, I, I'm, we're going to wrap it up there because we've, we've 
done a very old school episode where we've gone way over an hour and a half. Um, we, we used to scale it back to like an hour, but now we've, we've gone right back to our roots of waffling way too much. So the only thing that remains for me to say, guys, is thank you so much for listening. This has been Magic the Flame. We'll see you soon. Waffles!